Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, editor of Every Woman, and every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. Today we're looking at the subject of ageism and age inclusivity and the role of work within that. And in the studio, we welcome Jonathan Colley, co-founder of The Age of No Retirement, an organisation with a mission to create age-positive social change. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Hi. So your mission is to create a world where our age no longer defines us. Uh, all the opportunities that are open to us. And uh, you say that this should be true whether we're 20 or 80. I'd like to start with the first question of, is ageism the last exceptional prejudice and why? I think that we'll always find conflicts and tensions. So we, we might succeed in tackling ageism, but then we'll no doubt find something else that we need to tackle after that. Um, but as far as diversity is concerned, diversity in the workplace is concerned, we find that many of the um, diversity issues, the inclusivity issues have been addressed um, quite successfully to some extent in the workplace, um, but age certainly hasn't. So as far as um, diversity in the workplace is concerned, age, I think, is the next big one that we need to crack. The next big tackling. Yes. The age of no retirement. So this, for some people, this sounds like hell, <laughs> but for others, pure joy. So Let's look at the baseline. How is the concept of work and indeed retirement changing and, and why should we possibly start looking at these mm -hmm. in a different way? Well, f first of all, the age of no retirement is not saying that we or we're not advocating that people work until they drop. Um, what we're saying is that we are indeed living in an age where retirement in its traditional stereotypical form no longer exists. Yeah. So. Um, in the old days, when retirement was first popularised, um, people had enough money in retirement to live a life of leisure, more, a more leisurely existence. Um, and that was largely because they didn't last very long in retirement. I think the average age in retirement um, was three years. I think the, the average life expectancy was actually lower than the retirement age. Now when people retire, they can expect 10, 20, 30, 40 years even in retirement. So it's... It's a question really in two parts. The one is, is retirement or modern non-retirement all about money? And the answer to that is obviously not. Um, and also because you've got so much time, can you really afford to spend that time only going on cruises and doing gardening and watching TV and looking after the grandkids? So that, that, that model just doesn't exist anymore. And is that enough for people? Well, that's we're finding more and more that that isn't enough for people and that people need that continued purpose, that sense of fulfillment, that sense of reward. Um, and people want to continue to learn to do things. They want to keep building the social networks. They want to continue to be challenged. So we, we find more and more that in the age of no retirement, work is indeed becoming a, a, a much more... Um, more important element of people's lives um, beyond the 50, 60, 70 year old um, time frame. And presumably the idea of work is also becoming more fluid. I mean, you will talk about this later, but you do a lot of work with entrepreneurs in later life. Uh, I mean, are we talking specifically when we say no retirement of um, entrepreneurial activity or are we talking within working structures as well? Yes. 
Very interestingly, we're starting to work with large employers, um, employers that have uh, more than a thousand employees, uh, and in, in many instances have more than ten, even a hundred thousand employees. To start thinking about blurring that black line of retirement and what it actually means um, to each individual as well as the organization uh, it, itself. Where, what does the win-win look like? And it's certainly not just extending a nine-to-five career in your current job role. Um, as people get older, they their priorities change. They want different things. And we're finding, and in fact, what we will increasingly see is a trend towards drawing in elements of retirement into the workplace and extending elements of the workplace into that retirement space. And so you're going to start seeing not just flexibility in location and time, how much work and where you do it. It's going to be a complete rethinking of job roles, <clears throat> excuse me, almost a deconstruction of job roles. So you're looking at as as a portfolio of tasks and projects and objectives and how people and their skill sets and how much they want to work and what value they can really add, how that more fluid approach can start to redefine the boundary between career and retirement. So in essence, then age or, or rather the challenges of an aging population could end up defining work for a lot more people just than that particular cohort. You're absolutely right. And, yeah. in, and in fact, when we are asked to help companies to rethink about retirement, our, our starting point is always, why does it only have to be your older workers? Why can't we rethink work, um, rethink how your company performs, how people want to live their lives, um, start to measure productivity, not in presence, um, and, and also retraining line managers so they're much more flexible in their approach, approach and accommodating the approach and looking at the del deliverables rather than whether they see people every day. Let's talk about this idea of age um, defining us. So your mission, as I said, is to create a world where age doesn't define us, at whatever age we are, because you're very clear to say it's 20 to 80 or mm -hmm. 90 or 100, or, you know, who says there might be a centenarian that wants to set up a business. Yes. Um, is it possible? And, and actually, why is it desirable? Don't we have certain uh, sort of things that define us at age that are, are quite positive? Yes. Um, we don't advocate abolishing age as a concept. Um, cr chronology, time, you, they're irrefutable. There's, there's, there's only so much that you can say that we want to get rid of. Um, but what we want to do is to make sure that, that people don't see their age as a reason for them not being able to do something or that they have to behave their age in accordance with their age. So. Um, when we start to work with, with organizations, mostly in the third sector where they, and, and lots of charities, when they start to develop services and products for people, they say, well, this is for 50 plus or this is for 65 plus. And our challenge is you can't design for age because a 65-year-old can as easily be running a marathon as he can be in a care home with, with, with dementia. So um, designing for that age is absolutely meaningless. What you need to design is for, is for needs, wants, desires. And, um, and if you get that right, then whatever you're designing, it, it can address people of any age. Mm. The commonality is that need. Well, I mean, there is certainly, I know, in, in later life, that, that homogeneity, you know, that sort of sense that you get to a certain age and that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I you mean, all have to essence, dress the same, you live in the same place, you do yeah. the same thing, it's what's accepted. 
when we launched Trading Times, which was the precursor to the age of no retirement, it was back in 2014. Um, it was all around people over the age of 50 and engaging them in flexible or for flexible part-time paid work. So looking at people who want to build that portfolio career, that portfolio approach, and matching people who've got 10, 20, 30, 40 years of work experience who could be retiring at the very top of their game and matching them with the flexible resource needs of local small businesses who can't afford to hire a full-time equivalent. They just want those, those rich skills as and when they need them. We found that many of the people who were older entering this retirement space um, who had these incredible skills, they felt, and they were assuming this, this stereotype, they were, they were absorbing it themselves, they felt that they couldn't or shouldn't work because they are taking jobs from younger people, that it's their time to give back and not to earn money, that they need to be volunteering in charities and doing things like that. Um, and so it, it was a source of frustration in, in the age of no retirement where we're living so much longer and the economy needs to grow with everybody's contributions, with all these resources and certainly the, the experience that's built up over decades of careers. We just can't afford to have all these people not engaged in the economy anymore. On a cruise. <laughs> uh, just, just absent. Yeah. Just, just removing themselves from the from from uh, from the, the society in general. Um, people need to learn from their experience. You need to retain this. It's, it's like the, it's humanity as a library. You need to. It, 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 you've got to nurture and you've got to retain this heritage. The over 50s is a traditionally marginalised group because of this retirement space, and it's about enrichment. Then I guess and sort of putting it all back in. Yeah. A big challenge we have is the absence of of role models and good stories. So in a youth-obsessed society and you open up the, the, the media and, and read the, the news every day and all the, the popular type stories, they're all around youngsters, young entrepreneurs. And, um, and if they are about older people, they tend to be more of a sensationalist nature. So if, if an older person is running a startup as an entrepreneur, the astounding aspect is not what he or she is doing. It's the fact that they're older and an entrepreneur. And we just need to normalize these things a bit more. So we need more stories of normal people who are older, who are doing things with their longer years, with their longer lives, that's just occupying them time, their time and inspiring them. And then that can be referenced by other people who start to feel that it's normal for them to start going back to university or starting a new career or starting a business or becoming self-employed or the hobby that they're passionate about, they can start to build that into a into a new business. There's a million things that they could be considering doing. But normalizing is the key, isn't it? It's, it is It is the key. So tell me, give me a little bit of a background about how the age of no, no retirement is working towards that. We're working in, in three areas. We're working with organizations in the, the, the workforce, how it is that we can take the the us and them out of the workplace, the younger versus the older, the over 50 or around the retirement or the concept that older people are blocking space and they need to move on and retire. Uh, it's, it's rethinking that. And that's that's going to take uh, some, some time. But once I know through experience that in the HR environments, in, in businesses, once enough change starts to happen, then a lot of uh, uh, the change starts to accelerate really greatly. The other two areas are uh, the community, just broadly speaking community. We want to start to cultivate, nurture more intergenerational um, cohesion within communities. So we, we, we almost, we, well, we need to arrest and reverse the trend of 
quarantining older people in, in old age facilities and, and keeping people generations a, apart. We need to start exploring that. Um, and we've just finished, or about to finish, a very exciting project in the London Borough of Islington where we're exploring what it is that needs to be developed and created within a community in order to really cultivate and drive intergenerational cohesion. Um, the third area is in products and service design. So, and, and that includes brand, developing brands and communication. So reclaiming normal language for normal people rather than coming up all the time with these new euphemisms, jargons, you know, the oldpreneurs and the silver surfers and the golden age and all these things that the diminishing. They, they do more harm than good yeah. all the time. And, and it's just normal language for normal people is what we need to reclaim. So it's those three areas that we're focusing on. And it's all around doing things rather than, because we, we're not a think tank. We, we do a lot of thinking, but we, we, the very earliest opportunity, we want to start prototyping change and start to demonstrate how it is that action can actually translate it into, um, into broader changes in thinking and behavior. And this is what you're exploring in your intergenerational research unit, then that's... The intergenerational research unit, we're not a research organisation, so all the research we do is in support of project work that we do. Um, so a big piece of research that we did when we first received some funding from Big Lottery Fund to actually set the Age and Our Retirement up as an organisation at the beginning of 2016 was um, a big research project called, we called it In Common. Um, we, we couldn't continue with the age and our retirement without the proof that there's more that binds people and connects people of all ages and separates them under these stereotypical generational stereotypes. Um, and so we, we demonstrated quite clearly that whether you're 25 or 65, you pretty much thinking along similar lines. Um, and so your 65-year-old self, self is not that different to your 25-year-old self, self. And yet marketing departments and the media, they all love talking about millennials and boomers and how completely different they are and they think so differently. So we set out to prove that on your 50th birthday, going from 49 to 50, you don't all of a sudden become a different being overnight. Um, and so building on the fact that we have more in common is really I think the, 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 the root answer to everything that we're really grappling with. Let's talk further about the differences in commonality with regard to gender. Um, obviously, you know, we're talking about collapsing this idea of age and, and making it inclusive, but are there differences in the way that that plays out with men and women? I know you've done a bit of research recently on this. Uh, we, we don't focus specifically or particularly on, on gender issues, but we do come across trends quite a lot. And, and we, we need to work really hard on ensuring that whatever it is that we do is, is accessible and open and inclusive um, to everybody. We, th there's a few things that I, I, th I think we, we, we can highlight here. When, when we launched Trading Times in 2014, I think within six months in London, there were 2,000 candidates that, that uh, registered with the service, 60% um, of whom were women. So if, if you think about, about that, the, the, the appetite for working in later life, um, and obviously we haven't done a broader study on this, but it, it was very interesting that 60% of the people who, uh, who volunteered their time, their effort, their experience were, were women. And it most interesting was if you think about, okay, so an older woman 
what would he, what would she be be offering? And it's it's not what you would think stereo if you were thinking stereotypically. It's it's not admin clerical roles. These are people who've got 20, 40 years experience working in marketing or finance or consulting. Um, and it, it was it was amazing that there was a a, a very broad even distribution across all the skills in all the sectors. Um, and we were extremely excited about what we could offer by way of a resource pool to employers on a part-time flexible basis. So that, that was very interesting. Um, more recently, we did um, a project in, well, we're doing this project in Islington, which has caused us to, uh, and uh, very interestingly, to speak to so many people in the, in the borough of all shapes and sizes, ages, races, cultures, um, to try and understand what makes them tick, what their fears are, what their hopes and dreams are. And we interview quite a few people uh, on high streets, in council estates, and we realized that there's been a trend in, in, in recent times away from the patriarch of the community who would who would help kids tinkering with their bikes or, 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 or do the this sort of bloke stuff in the community that's it's that we noticed quite a significant absence of men um, and now the patriarch has been replaced by the matriarch so we have the the women who who own the streets who are who are telling the kids to behave and and who are doing um, fa favors and, and chores and help for their neighbors and popping in for a cup of coffee etc so we, we've and again, this isn't a, a formal study of ours, but it's it's something through all the conversations that we had. We realised that there's whatever it is that you need to do in order to make significant change along intergenerational lines within a community has to be done through the women. Right. <laughs> and, Interesting. And the <laughs> um, so, so that that's that, that's one thing that of late, um, and I suppose it's borne out a little bit by. Look at the, the Cub Scouts movement. Um, and I think the majority of people who, who run the, the Cub, the evening Cub Scouts, are the mothers, not the fathers anymore. Uh, certainly my, my son has been in Cubs. It's, I don't think that we've had a, a father involved there. There must be 10 mothers who, who, who run the three that he's been involved in. So that's... That's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's a, I love that idea that, it, you know, women can play this amazing role in uh, collapsing these intergenerational boundaries. Yes. Um, I just wanted to return to uh, entrepreneurialism, actually, because I know that you're, you've done a project, or I think you're still doing it, with the over 50s entrepreneurs and matching them up with younger entrepreneurs. Can you tell me a bit about that? And tell me, are there women involved in that? Or are they, how, how do women's attitudes in later life, mm -hmm. you know, relate to yes. entrepreneurialism? That, that's Quite interesting. In fact, it is the project in Islington that we've been working on. It started oh, okay. off as the intergenerational startup hub. That was the the hypothesis we were looking to to test. Because the one thing, um, it, our approach is all around design, design-led thinking. So we never go in with an answer that we're looking to build. We go in with a hypothesis or a direction of travel. And then through all these interviews and the conversations, it sorts itself out. Um, so it was midway through the project that the intergenerational startup hub um, became less of an exciting idea, and it, and it was it was replaced. Explain, um, sorry, explain to me just what you know. Explain to the to the listeners what exactly that that involved initially. And in it's in its well. In, initially, we were thinking that people around the age of um, graduating from university who've 
got lots of learnt knowledge, but very little applied knowledge, lots of uh, excitement of what the future might might hold, also a little bit of trepidation as to whether they're going to get a job and whether they're going to afford to buy a house or move out of home. Um, lots of tech savviness and lots of social connectivity, social networks, which may not be that interpersonal, might be more online or through social media channels. So that's on the one side. On the other side, we're looking at the 55 to 63-year-old person who is emerging from a full-time career, um, now thinking, well, I've got 20, 30 years left. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Again, with some hope and excitement to the newfound freedom of, of choice. Um, but also trepidation as to what it is they're going to be able to to, to do. Um, not so much as much learnt uh, e education and knowledge, but an incredible amount of acquired experiential knowledge. So we're thinking that both of these groups of people are sitting at a major life transition point. So wouldn't it be amazing if we could get them together and younger people can learn how to how to debate, talk and think, uh, public speak maybe, um, learn by experience and, and uh, leveraging the experience of older people. Older people can learn about technology and they can learn about, they, they can revitalize themselves, I suppose. So um, after having spent many years in a career. So that was the thinking. And if we can put them together and the, I suppose the, the real thing that would set that apart is more that the breadth of age um, of those co-founder groups would mean that they would have a better understanding of market needs in general, and therefore they would have a much better um, potential for developing the right product. Um, and of course, as the product is developed and the business is launched, they would have the breadth of skills in order to run a more resilient, durable business. So there were all these perfect sort of synergy type equations going on um, and then we started to, to speak to people and the, the wheels didn't come off. The interesting thing was that the wheels still stayed on this, but there were so many other things that we could do. It, it became this non-simplistic, non-linear intergenerational startup hub and it became what we're now calling the common room. Um, where it's for it's for people of all ages. It's not just for those two cohorts. It's 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 to look at how it is that we can bring people together, and in so doing, raise everybody's game. They can help each other, nurture each other, raise everybody's game, create a hotbed of intergenerational productivity and exploration, and in so doing, attract other parties into this mix. So you think of companies that have lost touch with their customers and they go to third-party market insights. Well, they can just pop up and they can run focus groups and workshops within, within this hub. Um, the companies who are looking to understand um, customer needs, user insights, they can engage with this. The local authority might say, well, we've got a problem with childhood obesity in, in our borough. Um, well, let's take it to the residents. Let's let's see if, if if they can solve this. If they can develop new social enterprise and new social ideas, new new problems. NHS in the local area can come with with their problems uh, and roll up their sleeves with the, the residents. Now, n this isn't going to happen spontaneously. We need to have a host creative team and a host development team in that, but more of a facilitation role, not a not a class based educational curriculum role. Mm. But also uh, uh, equally important, I guess, is that, that all of this is an equal relationship. It's collapsed 
the traditional idea of hierarchy where the older person teaches the younger person or Absolutely. actually the inverse hierarchy now where the younger millennials know everything and the older people know nothing yes and and I find that really fascinating yes. I also find that the idea that you know this intergenerational idea with work can then lead on to intergenerational solutions in society and that's part of the whole you know the whole thing I'm just going to ask you one final question uh, before we go what um Tell me, you know, what is the next stage? Where are you going now? And what do you want to see happen uh, through Age of No Retirement in, say, the next year, five years, ten years? V very interestingly, this, this project, the Intergenerational Startup Hub, that's now become the Common Room, that has enormal, enormous um, potential to become a network of community-based. And I don't know what the critical mass of community, whether it's a borough or it's a town, um, but aggregating across this network, there is a movement for social change um, and a powerful intergenerational story. And so the age of no retirement, if we can get that moving, if we can get that out the gates. Now, this project was funded by the by Innovate UK, which is a government department, sub-department of the Department of Bay's Business Enterprise and Industrial Strategy, I think. Um, if we can now get the pilot going and start to test it in different locations and gain traction, that's really where we want to get because that would drive innovation, community redesign, intergenerational cohesion, a new narrative, new language, new stories, new, new role models. Um, and there was an interesting, uh, one of the conversations I had, one of the interviews I had was with a, a, um, a mother, a young mother who was looking to get back to work. Now, she's very successful. She come from the city, but in career, in, in finance. And she had a first baby and her, her thinking changed. She, she now no longer wanted to go back to the cities. She, want, she wanted to explore, I don't know, something a little bit more meaning with a little bit more of a social impact as well as generate some income for herself. Um, but there was nowhere for her to go. She, she, she was almost you know, knocking on charity by charity within the local community. So the common room, we want those kinds of people, those kinds of people with a with a little bit of an agitation, a little bit of an itch to scratch, a little bit of dissatisfaction with the status quo and an ambition to do better, to be better. Um, that's the answer that we want to start to provide. And what also is interesting to me as well about that and about that broader social change and working change is if that you have um, men and women working longer and in different styles, then obviously this can contribute to helping to close the gender pay gap, which has been in the news uh, recently. Uh, it will help to level the, the playing field. I mean, it, it is the answer or one of the answers to a, a more inclusive society. The gender pay issue is exacerbated the, towards the retirement type, type line, uh, where you find that... Um, Women tend to be the principal carers. So if there's an ailing parent, older parent, it's usually be, it's, it's the daughter. If there's a son and daughter, it's the daughter that takes that, that principal role. Um, it's the sandwich care, caring burden falls more on, on the mother and the daughter. And so I find that um, the, the livelihoods, the careers of, of women are under greater threat than, than men. And with that comes an, an erosion in pay and in promotions and salaries and things like that. So I, I'd like very much for us to be able to start to drive collaborative innovation on a peer basis that everybody's got a, the same stake um, and start to create 
or to demonstrate what is possible on, the, on that basis. And obviously there is a lot that is possible. There's a lot that is possible and there's a lot to be done. Jonathan Colley, thank you very much. Thanks very for much, Anna. Us. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us as well on this Every Woman podcast. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time. Don't forget, in the meantime, there's a wealth of information, interest and further talking points on the Every Woman network and app if you want to access on the move. So until we meet again, have a great day and keep on living your best life.